the depths of who he is and what he's done and what he communicates to us through his word, it's inexhaustible. So I'm glad he got up and, and shared with the kids and honestly did probably better than I will. And then the Karis came in and said, oh, and this is what I see in this story. So we've already gotten two takes at this, uh, two bites at this apple. And uh, y'all are going to get the third bite. And if we have time, I'll, maybe there'll be a fourth and a fifth. Uh, but it's, I really, I, I think Davey even was asking me all week, you know, what are you going to talk about? I mean, not in that direct of a way, but uh, we would have discussions. And I couldn't get past this idea of temple. And, I'm, and there's some scripture that I, I really, I hope the Lord will let me dig into. But, but honestly, today, it was just like, that's not where I want you to go tonight. And, and really, that actually, if I'm honest, that started yesterday. And what's, what prompted it was this, this image of Jesus bending down and putting his hands on the ground. And it was like the Lord was just showing me how human Jesus really was. And how embracing of us he really is. So if you've got your Bibles, we're going to turn to uh, John chapter 7, verse 53 through uh, chapter 8, verse 11. Uh, Starts off, it says, Then each went to his own home, but Jesus went to the Mount of Olives. At dawn he appeared again in the temple courts where all the people gathered around him, And he sat down to teach them. The teachers of the law and the Pharisees brought in a woman caught in adultery. They made her stand before the group and said to Jesus, Teacher, this woman was caught in the act of adultery. In the law of Moses, it's commanded us to stone such women. Now, what do you say? They were using this question as a trap in order to have a basis for accusing Jesus. But Jesus bent down and started to write on the ground with his finger. When they kept on questioning him, he straightened up and said to them, If any one of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. And again he stooped down and he wrote on the ground. And at this, those who heard began to go away one at a time. The older ones first, until only Jesus was left with the woman standing still there. Jesus straightened up and asked her, Woman, where are they? Has no one condemned you? No one, sir, she said. Well, then neither do I condemn you, Jesus declared. Go now and leave your life of sin. Let's pray. Father, we just thank you for tonight. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your word that's inexhaustible. We thank you for your word that communicates beyond words at times. We thank you for your word uh, that is being spoken uh, to us tonight. And I just pray that you give us all humble hearts to hear from you. That you make us sensitive before your presence. And I pray, Lord, that the words that I speak will be words from you. That any words that are from me, uh, Lord, we can do without those. But I just pray that you will penetrate us, penetrate our hearts. And do what you want to do in our time together. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So this 
passage, honestly, as far as the Jesus stories go, this passage is one of my favorites. And I don't, I don't know why, except for it's just so, it's just so relatable on so many different levels. Pick a character in this story, and you probably can find yourself there at some point. If you can't, I challenge you to really take a step back. Even Jesus, I think we, as embodiers of the Spirit of God, can take the place, just like Karis talked about, we take the place of Jesus in these troubling situations. Certainly, we can claim the position of the, the woman who was caught in adultery. We can all say, yeah, I have totally messed up, just like Travis talked about, and I need a Savior to protect me. But good gracious, are we not the Pharisees who are ready to throw stones at anybody who comes around and who doesn't fit into our perfect moral and holy holy life. So we, I love this story because it's just us. It's humanity. And in a lot of ways, it's the church. It is all segments of the church, the super religious, the completely broken, and the savior of the world, all mixed into one little event in the book of John. And so, when I, like I said, I really was thinking about Jesus, just the, hum, the humanness of this description of him bending down and putting his hand in the ground. And I've, I've taught on this before, and I don't think I've taught on this, uh, I don't think I've spoken on this passage here at Dwelling, but if I have, I'm sorry, let's just trust God's got something new for us. But, I, you know, I've, I've almost been flippant with what he's writing in the ground before. Like maybe he's drawing football plays like we used to do when we were growing up. You know, get in the dirt and say, you know, here's quarterback, receiver goes out, running back, shoots that way, pass to the open person. Uh, because it didn't matter what Jesus wrote. And in a lot of ways that's true because if it really mattered, uh, you know, I think, John would have the, the, I think John would have said, and Jesus wrote this. But I also, as I was digging into this, because I really, I just kept getting stuck on this finger that he was writing with. Because um, it says he bent down and he started to write on the ground with his finger. And I thought, well, that's pretty specific. Uh, again, just the humanity of Jesus in this. And so I was like, well, I wonder where else finger is, is in Scripture. Uh, and it's, it's not in a lot of different places. Uh, and I won't, I won't recount everywhere that it is located, uh, but it actually has some pretty uh, specific Old Testament uh, references. And the one, and this is where I landed, uh, I'll tell you in the Old Testament, a lot of times the finger would talk about dipping it in the blood and spreading it on the altar. Sometimes it would talk about dipping it in the oil and sprinkling it at the, um, at the altar. But what I found that I found interesting um, was God giving the Ten Commandments is described as writing them on stone with his finger. And so we have three elements there that are really similar. You've got the finger, you've got writing, and you've got it on some kind of earthly material. Now, I'm not ready to make this a hill I'm going to die on. I'm not ready to say it has to be it. But I think what Jesus is doing here, 
is actually signaling something, you know, just as God gave the commandments in the Old Testament, I think what he's writing in the ground is a reference back to the Ten Commandments. And I think all he has to write, and I don't know how they would do the short form where he can just bend down and write something real quick for these people to see, but I think the moment he writes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, I think everybody's done. And I think when he's presented with this situation, all he has to do is write down that first commandment. And then look at these people and say, which one of you is perfect in this? Now, that's just, that's just me. I mean, I think every time you want to teach on this, it's really interesting, what did Jesus write? But that's really where I landed when I was really studying this uh, because it just was really fascinating to me, uh, the, the, just the correlation of those three elements seeing in both spots. But I also think there is an element in those to not only for Jesus, for it to be a pointing back to the Ten Commandments, but to also uh, be one of those signalers of, hey, this isn't just a man writing in the sand, but this is actually God right here pointing out to you that there is a standard that you cannot meet. So while you're holding everybody else to some standard, you can't even cut it yourself. And I think it's, this is a signal that says this is not just a wise teacher, but this is God. And if you know anything about the Gospel of John, that's what like, the whole book of John is really leading up to, is the very presence of God in human form is walking amongst people and they don't understand it. And there's clues all throughout, and it's only at the end that finally somebody gets it and is like, this is the Son of God. He was here in our midst. But this is another one of those stories that signals that this is not just a man, not just a wise teacher, but it's actually God in human form who is acting on behalf of his people, acting on behalf of a people that are broken. And so let's really kind of slow down and dig into the, the, the story because it's just... Like I said, to me, it's just so real. And I've seen it in church, and I've seen it in, you know, family. I've seen it in life. You've got Jesus teaching. And at the temple, at the religious spot, and the Pharisees, the super-religious, bring this woman in. I mean, notice it was early in the morning. So... We're definitely talking about being caught in the act. This thing is fresh. This isn't just, hey, I heard about what she did last week, but this was somebody who was yanked out of a house and brought down uh, for ultimate shame and embarrassment. To try to catch Jesus, they drag her in and before the whole temple courts and say, look what this woman did. Shouldn't we stone her? I just, I just really, when I think about her, I just, when I, she's just broken. I mean, I 
haven't we seen it before? I mean, she knew she wasn't living right, I'm sure. But there's something about when that, that shame gets brought into the public realm. And not in a way like I had a chance to look nice before I showed up at court. Maybe I do read this too much through a legal lens, but I'm just sitting there looking at a, a, a room full of prosecutors that are chomping at the bit. And they're coming after a woman who didn't have time to even take a shower to look nice and clean before her accusers. She just gets dragged in, and everybody's ready to throw stones at her. And she has the defense of Jesus. I just see her, and my heart just breaks. And I just know that so many of us can relate to this. So many of us who are supposed to have it all together, who, for whatever reason, we just mess it up. And by law, the Pharisees would have had the right to accuse her. By our law, they could have stoned her. Although we don't know that they actually would, would have, that we don't know that they did that at that time. But by law, they had the right to throw stones at this woman and take her out. And that's where I just love, I just love Jesus' ability. He doesn't yell at them. He doesn't try to outwit them with some crafty arguments. All he does is he shines the light. He just moves the spotlight that they had on her. He just manages to shift it back to them. In just ever a crafty way. I mean, he, you know, we've got all kinds of scripture where Jesus is parrying with these people in real crafty arguments, and they'll ask him a question, and he'll not answer the question, but leave them so confounded they don't have anything else to say, or, he'll, he'll, or he will answer it and just completely shut them down right there. But here, all he does is he just gets down on a knee and puts his hand on the ground, and he just starts writing, and he just looks at them. It says they kept on questioning. He's sitting there writing on the ground. They kept on questioning. And he says, if any of you is without sin, let him be the first to throw a stone at her. It's just real. This is, it is just reality. That's what I want us to really see, is this is not a story that was trapped in a time capsule of 2,000 years ago. This really is today. And the challenge for us is to really uh, look in our hearts and say, where do we, certainly we can relate to all three positions, but are we moving ourselves more towards Jesus? It says they went away one by one. 
the oldest ones first. I really thought that was interesting. Like that's an interesting detail to, to put in there. And I think, honestly, it's because there was a wisdom in the oldest ones. While they were probably just as, as upset about the situation, but there, there was a wisdom of, you know, he's really right. I'm not without sin either. Because, you know, the young bucks, they're, they're, they're intense and they're passionate and they're going to they're gonna get it. That's me as a 20-year-old. I had all the answers of what was wrong with what I was seeing around me. And now as a 40-year-old, I have all the answers of what's wrong with me, trying to figure out what's wrong with everything else. And, uh, but that's it. It's the oldest ones first because the oldest ones say, I understand what he is saying so clearly, and I need to remove myself because I am not in a right place. And see, a lot of times when we deal with this story, we recognize clearly the, the two parties of Jesus and the uh, adulterous woman, and we got the Pharisees kind of over here just playing the part. I mean, in a lot of ways, that's how the story is set up, is the Pharisees are just playing the part to really push the focus of Jesus' grace and mercy on this woman. But I'm not sure that Jesus didn't just save the Pharisees too. I'm not sure he didn't just cause something to click in their minds that caused them to go from the law of Moses that they're sitting there quoting into the law of grace that he's presenting to them. I think he, Jesus certainly went to bat for that woman, but I think he went to bat for these Pharisees, and that's why he did what he did. Instead of just trying to uh, stop their arguments and just say, you have no business here, I'm going to take care of her, and I'm going to remove her, I think he did something in the ground, tangible for them to see without speaking so much words because he wanted it to penetrate deep inside of their being. See, we got words. We got words. We got lots of words. And we got words so that we can convince people with rational arguments of what's right and wrong, how to live, what's the truth, what's not the truth. We got words, and words have their place, but there are times where actions have to be demonstrated because words only get into here, but when somebody sees an action, it hits here, and it changes a life. We love to throw stones at the Pharisees. But I think Jesus said, I'm going after them too. I came after them too. Because it's God's heart that none should perish, but that all should come into his salvation. I just love this story. Because everybody, Jesus is trying to save all of them. He had the arguments to shut him down. But when he bends down and he writes something there, they see it. They are given the opportunity to keep going, which they started out with. We're going to keep questioning you. But then they realized, I'm wrong. I don't have the standing I thought I did. And something clicks for them that says, it's not just about the law of Moses. 
but it's about the law of grace and mercy because I am just as bad as she is. Now guys, y'all can take that up with the Lord. That's my interpretation of things. The Bible does not go into that much detail, but it is, it, it's an un, that's another reason why I love this, is it's an, it's an unusual story in the way Jesus handles these people. Especially the Pharisees, who he loved to just go toe-to-toe with to bring correction. But then when they all go, it's just the woman standing there. The woman who could have run away once the opportunity came. But when you're broken, when you're shamed, you just don't have anything left but to stand there. I mean, put yourself in her shoes. You get drugged out of somebody's house early in the morning, brought before a group of men for public humiliation, and they leave. What's your first thing but to hightail it out of there? But instead, she's there. She's just looking at this man who she doesn't really know, who did, who did something to stand up for her, but she's still a hot mess on this morning. And Jesus just says, woman, where are they? I mean, I don't know if he was looking down and he didn't see them leave, or he's just being rhetorical. But he said, hasn't anyone condemned you? I want to be a part of the church where the answer to that is no. I want to be a part of a fellowship of people where when somebody gets brought publicly for having messed up, that when the question comes, has anybody condemned you at dwelling ministries? We say, no. Because they know they're just as broken as I am. And yeah, I messed up. I messed up in some bad ways, and now the whole world knows about it. But I know at that place, nobody's condemning me. Because Jesus demonstrates how we are to be. And it's the first part that everybody remembers, and it's the second part that a lot of people would like to forget. But he says, I don't condemn you either. He's, he's, he's written it down. If you take my interpretation, he's written it down in such a way to say, hey, I am the Son of God. I am the finger of God that wrote the commandments in the first place that I'm reminding you of now. And as the Son of God in your midst, I'm not here to condemn you. In fact, I think he even says that very clearly in other passages. I didn't come to condemn the world, but to save the world. 
And so here he is with a very individual representation of the world in this adulterous woman. He says, I am the Son of God, and I did not come to condemn you. But you got to go sin no more. See, that's the second part that a lot of people would rather uh, not deal with. We like that neither do I condemn you, so I can do, you know, whatever I want to, however I want to, whenever I want to, because he's not going to condemn me. But Jesus follows it up with, now go and sin no more. Because, see, this is, what matters with Jesus is not that you're holy for holiness' sake. I mean, there is that call, be holy, as your Father is holy. But what matters for Jesus is, my love for you is so great that for you to not sin in this way anymore is for your good. It is the way abundant life comes to you. It is a way we stay in right fellowship, and you are who you were designed to be in the beginning. So it's not just that I'm a taskmaster or some rule maker that's keeping tabs of who's following the rules and who's not. But I'm doing this because I love you and because there is life for you. And the way you live right now is damaging to your life. You break yourself by what you do. I've shielded these people, uh, to use Karis' term, I have shielded these people from stoning you. But now I'm looking at you, and I know you're broken, and I know you're beat, and I know you feel like you've hit rock bottom, but I'm telling you there's life for you. There is life on the other side of what has happened this morning. Some of us need to be reminded of that. When we hit our lowest of lows, our bottoms of bottoms, Jesus is there to say, I, there is life for you on the other side of this. And that is why this is such a beautiful story to me. Because anywhere you go, you've got the adulterous woman. If not looking at you in the mirror, you've certainly got them sitting with you at a table, working with you. In your own home. It's really easy. I don't, I don't know what it is about the brokenness of humanity that wants us to pick up stones. It elevates, like it elevates us to a place of superiority. So your mess is worse than mine, so I feel better about myself. And Jesus comes in and wrecks it all. So when we're in these situations, when we're among, a, in a situation with another human, we might be in the presence of the adulterous woman. We might be in the presence of the Pharisees but we also might be in the presence of Jesus. And we might be in the presence of, you know, well, we won't go there. But 
All I want to say is this story is so important to me. I mean, it just speaks to me because here we have him as human as can be dealing with as human a situation, one that we can all relate to. If I asked you right now to think of a similar situation, probably every one of us can immediately come up with something. It's the world we live in. There's brokenness all around. And brokenness looks different in different situations. And Jesus steps into it. He steps into all that broken mess. And the first thing he wants to do is reorient our thinking. To say, it's not about checking every single box well, you know, we cry out for holiness at the church. I mean, in the church, and I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I think that is a pursuit inspired and empowered by the Holy Spirit. But I also think if we lose grace, and if we lose the connectedness of the presence of Jesus, shielding at times, inspiring at times, encouraging at times, exhorting at times, your holiness is nothing but works righteousness, which we can torpedo in a heartbeat. That's not what God's calling us to. He's calling us to hold fast to that man, Jesus, to receive that spirit and to say, Holy Spirit, I need you. Because I've had times in my life where I'm the adulterous woman. And maybe I didn't get dragged in front of the public and embarrassed and shamed. Sometimes maybe I did get embarrassed. Maybe I was exposed for who I was and for the ways I wasn't perfect. But I'm so grateful that you're there to remind me that you didn't come to condemn. But instead, it's your blood that covers me, that washes me from all unrighteousness, and that makes me white and clean. But it's also your spirit that says, I've got you. I will help you sin no more. The Pharisees needed to switch from the law of Moses to the law of grace. The adulterous woman needed somebody to tell her there was mercy and grace for her so that she could then walk out the law of Moses. See, I mean, how, how we, we tend to go to one side or the other. And Jesus brings us right into that balance of, I've got you. And I'm going to empower you to walk out the life that I designed you to live. I'd love to know that woman's story after that. Um, it's just, just an amazing story. And an angering story. I mean, what business? 
What business did the Pharisees have doing what they did? Is that really the best way to go about this? Uh, and we won't even, today, we won't even talk about the man that, you know, whose house she was in. Um, but this is what I really want us to think about tonight, and I'm going to be wrapping it up. Uh, we've all worn the hat of the Pharisee, and we, it, it comes easy. It just does. It just does. It comes easy, guys. Especially if you're in church. Putting on the hat of the Pharisee comes easy. Especially if you've actually overcome some brokenness. In your journey of spirituality, where you were in your immaturity, you were dealing with uh, struggles and addictions, and you've overcome those things, it's easy to be ready to throw stones at somebody who might have different struggles or addictions. Because we think, oh, we were victorious in this. You just need to get victorious too. What's wrong with you? I think Jesus would step in right then and say, no, 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 no. Good for you for victory one, but I hate to tell you this, it's the Daytona 500 and you got 500 of those laps to go. So, woohoo, lap one's great, but we got a lot of work to do. So why don't you put that stone right back down and just join with your brother or sister and help them get around this first lap too. It's easy to pick up the stones, but can we let them go? And that, that's a sincere question. Can you drop your stone? The most offensive sin that you can imagine. Can you drop your stone if you're confronted with that? Because Jesus never carried around a stone. Jesus never bashed the broken. Then maybe put yourself in the shoes of the adulterous woman. As far as she could tell, everything was over. I mean, that's, that's the way I would feel. Y'all might have a different spin on, or a different perspective on this, but the way I read this, it's over. Reputation's over. Health is gone. Family connections probably destroyed. Unfortunately, those things still happen today. But then even beyond that, she's been drugged in front of a group of people publicly who are literally ready to end her life. It's over. The adulterous woman, there was a day after that she thought she didn't have. Now, I'm looking at a room full of people who are not probably in the situation of the adulterous woman, uh, but if you are, or if you get there, there's a day after. Jesus affords us a day after. And then put yourself in the shoes of Jesus. That's okay, guys. It's okay for us to put ourselves in the shoes of Jesus 
I'm not calling you Jesus, I'm not calling you God, but as we have received of him, so we live him out, okay? Put yourselves in the shoes of Jesus, and you're not picking up stones, and you're not sitting there thinking that the end is truly the end, but you are being tasked with coming alongside and restoring life to people who are marching towards death or who are being marched toward death. And that's really where we are called to land, is in his footsteps. To see that the persecutors, the ones who are ready to throw stones, are broken. And they need a Savior. To see that the persecuted is broken. And they need a rescuer. That we have been empowered to walk this out and to be in these situations. So, if you'll come up, and I'm going to let Megan play. Uh, I, you know, I will, t- if, if anybody else has a fourth perspective on this story, even a personal testimony about this story, uh, you know, if, if, if you relate too closely with the adulterous woman keep you know your story you know g-rated uh, but if if you want to get up and share i just want to i want to afford that opportunity uh, it's the humanity of jesus that grabs me because it's god in the flesh and it wasn't just some whiz with the with words but it was somebody who put his hands on the ground. It was somebody who walked in the midst of the rabble, who was willing to mix it up with the religious high-minded, who was willing to dip down for the low and broken. It's the one, that's what he calls us to do. Find ourselves in the religious high-minded, find ourselves in the, the low and broken. Embodying Him. Not joining with either. I'm going to let Megan play to close us out. Uh, I'm very willing to pray with anybody. This is not a... a, a message to convict you uh, but if it does praise God it's not really so much even a message to encourage you but if it does praise God this is a message for me to shine a light on Jesus what a savior God in the flesh came down for that woman All the people he could have saved by laying hands and healing. All the different arguments or teachings he could have had. But he says, I only do the will of my Father. It was the will of the Father for Jesus. Part of Jesus coming down was for that woman. 
and part of him coming down is for you. He's personal. He's personal and he's inviting you in to walk in his steps to be personal for somebody else.